This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 20% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT9. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Pagman Show, The Majority Report, ABC's What Would You Do, The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Oxford Union, and The Media Matters Minute. Brian Fisher from the uh, Family Research Council, no, the American Family Association, I'm sorry, I got my hate, hate groups mixed up there, says that eventually all of America is going to agree with him and they're going to ban mosques and they're going to ban Muslims as well. Now, how ironic as we watch this clip of Brian Fisher and listen to it, that he has a backdrop, which is the Constitution, the same Constitution he couldn't possibly understand if he believes eventually Muslims and mosques will be banned that uh, obvious hypocrisy notwithstanding let's take a listen to what brian fisher had to say forget we are not at war with islam but islam is at war with us and we've got to wake up and smell the napalm and and do whatever we need to do to protect the safety and security of the american people now you may think my recipe is too drastic i think most people probably do they're probably shocked when they hear my suggestion but I, I i i am suggesting that eventually all of america is going to agree with me yeah they are going to agree that it's a mistake to allow unrestricted islamic immigration it's a mistake to allow muslims to serve in the military major hassan is living proof of that and we need to stop the building of mosques so anyway i believe that's where america is going to wind up yeah that's what he thinks now let's let's analyze this piece by piece because there's something interesting there and it's actually very central to the problem we have with so-called terrorists in this country Brian Fisher points out that the fact that a Muslim individual who was in the military committed violence is an indicator that we should not allow people who are of that religion, of that faith, to be in the military. However, we very many times have uh, uh, Christian people in the military commit crimes or, or, or Catholic uh, police officers commit crimes. Do we say, well... You can't have Catholics be police officers anymore. You can't have Christians in the military anymore. No. In other words, religion only matters in the commission of crimes, in identifying groups that should be banned, when it is a specific religion that someone wants to target, right? And, and that seems to be, that's so glaringly obvious from this. Yeah, Major Hassan, right, okay. But so then if we have one Christian who was in the military who commits any kind of a crime, like many of those who have been convicted for the crimes they committed, uh, the, the war crimes, the, the violence and, and rape and all that stuff, we, should we not have Christians in the military anymore? No. In that case, it's not a good example, Lewis. It's not representative of their faith is what they would say. Right. I mean, he might argue that uh, the number of Muslims in the military is so insignificant that if you were to remove them all, it would have no impact. And then he would say, we wouldn't barely even have a military if you removed all the Christians from it. Right. Um, but, of course, you know, you can't talk about the people in his religion. If an individual acted that way who was a Christian, they were, they not were mentally a true Christian. ill, they were not a true Christian, exactly. they, they went crazy, they are a lone wolf, whatever. So, no gays in the military, no Muslims in the military. Okay, we're paring down the groups that, that are allowed to be in the military. This is evidence, actually, of something that really we've known for a while, but it's always good to have kind of corroborating evidence for, which is when fundamentalist Christian extremists talk about so-called religious freedom, they mean Christian freedom and Christian domination. It's not really about religious freedom, is it?
Eric Holder, Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, made a speech uh, to the Anti-Defamation League where he spoke about uh, anti-Semitism, he spoke about terrorism. But he also made a point of really highlighting uh, the need uh, to to not indulge in in any type of bigotry and his commitment to prosecute hate crimes targeted at Muslims, targeted at Sikhs, targeted at people of South Asian and Arab uh, descent uh, in the wake of the Boston bombings and generally. Uh, and he really made some really strong statements uh, about uh, against hate crimes and against bigotry. Um, now, Fox News was incredibly taken with Eric Holder's speech. And as you can imagine, they were incredibly taken with it for all the wrong reasons, because they want to be able to indulge in Islamic bigotry, damn it. And here's Megyn Kelly. First, what she's doing is she's reading Holder's quote. So you'll get a sense of what he was saying, and you'll be nodding ahead, your head along and agreeing and appreciating his sentiment. Uh, and then uh, the complaints will start. So let's play uh, uh, Megyn Kelly. Since 9-11, they've investigated more than 800 incidents involving threats, assaults, and acts of vandalism and violence targeting Muslims, Arabs, Sikhs, South Asians, and others who are perceived to be members of these groups. As Americans, we must not allow any group to be stigmatized or alienated. We must not tolerate acts of hatred. And then he goes on to say, let us resolve once more to help our fellow citizens meet fear with reason. This is how we will honor the victims of the Boston Marathon bombings. Let us strive to confront ignorance with information. Promote understanding, encourage open dialogue, divert suspicious or prejudiced gazes with outstretched hands. Um, Jay, if you take those remarks and put them on paper and just yeah. disconnect them to the Boston Marathon bombings, they're not controversial at all. But to have the Attorney General of the United States get up and, and focus on backlash against Muslims, has there been backlash against Muslims in the wake of, of Boston? And is this a time for the Attorney General to be effectively scolding Americans, not, not to be bigoted and not to be ignorant? Yeah. This is not the time to not be bigoted. Fox News was so upset, you know, when events like this happen, they get all excited and ready to run out. Like Eric Rush, the Fox News contributor who tweeted out after the Boston bombings that all Muslims should be killed. It's just his freedom of speech, man. And now poor Megyn Kelly, she wants to go out and talk about why Muslims and Arabs are a threat. And now big, mean Attorney General Holder has to come in with his politically correct, don't stereotype and hate everybody, man. Just ruin the fun. Just destroy the fun for Fox. It's it's a sad you know, day. Normally, you shouldn't stereotype Muslims, people. But when something happens, that's the time to do it. She yeah, said. the time the is time when it. there is the most uh, likely time for there to be hate crimes. Is of course uh, exactly the time when you should be stereotyping Muslims. Now, of course, Megyn Kelly obviously she also spoke. Has there been a backlash against Muslims? Now, uh, of course, the first answer is yes, beginning with the guy who tweeted before the Boston bombing suspects were even discovered and apprehended, tweeted, and a Fox News employee tweeted out that all Muslims should be killed. Um, then there was also the uh, Muslim woman who was assaulted uh, three days later by a man in Boston who came up to her and screamed, 
F you, you're a Muslim, you're all terrorists. Uh, the FBI has investigated more than 800 hate crimes against Muslims and those perceived to be Muslims since uh, 9-11. A 2010 study uh, by the uh, Southern Poverty uh, Law Center reported uh, that FBI had statistics showing that hate crimes against Muslims and importantly those perceived to be Muslims because there's this other religion called the Sikh religion. And I know it's very complicated for viewers of Fox and people like that because you see a turban and you see a beard and you see a brown guy and you're like, oh my God, this is a Muslim. This is my opportunity to join Sean Hannity and really take my personal stake for freedom and against terrorism. But you don't realize that they're actually members of a religion you've never heard of. So when you're out doing these disgusting things, these bigoted, racist, stupid things that you all should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law for, you're also targeting, uh, in some cases, not even Muslims. Not that that should make any difference anyways, because it doesn't. It just reinforces what complete and utter morons these people are. But let's get back to the, st to the stats. In 2010... This is, of course, several years after September 11th, after we've had innumerable examples. Like, if, unless you completely had your head simply in a Fox News suction chamber, you would have countless examples of Muslims condemning terrorism, Muslims articulating the best values of human rights and world civilizations, and Muslims being uh, the victims uh, of civilian casualties, Guantanamo Bay, and all the rest. Hate crimes jumped up 50% in 2010, uh, against Muslims and those perceived to be Muslims. This is several years, not again, not that it makes any difference in terms of anything happening, but the point is, is that the propaganda in 2010 is even more intense than the propaganda after September 11th. Uh, the Bureau reported in 2010 that there were reported 157 reported anti-Muslim hate crimes. Uh, this is in 2009, down slightly from 160 recorded in 2010. The hate crimes occurred during a period when, a nor when, Muslim bat when Islam bashing propaganda, which initially took off in 2010, continued apace. And this is all the crap. This is Glenn Beck. This is Obama's a secret Muslim. This is all that garbage. Um, this is, of course, last summer was the shoot mass shooting at the Sikh temple in Wisconsin, which killed many innocent people. It was a, was a terrorist attack by a white. But nobody will call it a terrorist attack. No, that's, and, and what is the precise definition of terrorism is what happened to those people at a Sikh Gurdwara in Wisconsin. Uh, and, of course, stop, never stopped anybody at Fox from being bigots the, and morons. The, that was just a crazy white guy, Michael. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. Just, it just a crazy really, white guy. Yeah, if it's just a crazy white guy, it doesn't count for and anything if it, if the victims weren't, And if the victims weren't uh, Sikhs, if the victims were also white people, then you'd hear the talk about more people calling it a mass shooting. That's right. But it's just a crazy white guy. And because it was Sikhs, it wasn't even really covered as a mass shooting. It actually went out of the news That's pretty quickly. That's what I'm quickly. saying. Exactly. No, you're, yeah. exactly, you're exactly right. Uh, uh, in the same period, uh, vandals left a slain pig in front of a mosque in Houston, Texas. That's, of course, uh, you know, in and of itself horrifying and disturbing, but obviously Muslims like Jews don't eat pork. So that was obviously the impetus behind the attack. So look, I think again oh, – I it's, thought you were trying to say that there was some sort of hate crime against swine. It was a hate crime against. <laughs> uh, I think pigs are very cute. That's why I, don't, I do. That's why well. I don't eat pig. But uh, look, I think just again, it's so easy to, and it's like shooting fish in a you know in a barrel every day when we come into work. There is so many 
just an embarrassment of riches of stupid clips from Fox to pick. Uh, but sometimes uh, they're so egregious because they are literally the handmaidens uh, ideologically of deranged and screwed up people, which is obviously not even most people who are bigoted towards Muslims or are going out and doing these things. But this is obviously creating the context. And when Eric Holder comes out and makes a responsible effort to try to kind of speak out against this, remind Americans that it's intolerable, Fox is there first in line with a disgusting, whiny, self-indulgent, inaccurate, and bigoted uh, response. And it's disgusting, and it's pathetic, and you would expect nothing more. So, anyways, that's my... It's just, it's just like, do one Google search. Look at one friggin' story. It's unbelievable. Like, do you really want to be... I mean, it, it kind of goes without saying, but it's like, that really the business you want to be in? Uh, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> what am I talking about? Don't tell a man that he can't come here Cause he got brown eyes and a wavy kind of hair And don't tell a woman that she can't go there Because she prays a little different to a god up there Squarespace.com is a platform used to build professional-looking websites so easily that anyone can do it. But they're not just an easy and powerful way to make a website because they also take care of all the little behind-the-scenes hassles, too. So here's a list of things that give me heartburn just to think about regarding my website. Managing the hosting server of my site. Navigating that horrible site that I used to register my domain names even though I should have moved them years ago. Setting up search engine optimization. And frankly, dealing with anything that goes wrong because I either have to develop an ulcer figuring it out for myself or beg friends who know what they're doing to do it for me. And as you might have guessed, Squarespace handles all of this stuff for you. They take care of the hosting, SEO, you get a free domain name if you sign up with them for a year, and they have a support staff waiting to help you 24-7. All this starts at just 8 bucks a month, so no matter what you need your website for, a professional site with professional support is now within your grasp. You can try out a free trial now. You don't even need a credit card just to see if you like it. And then when you do sign up, for September only, you can get 20% off by using the special offer code LEFT. Nine. That's L-E-F-T and the number 9. You get 20% off your service and you let them know that you're supporting this show at the same time. So use the offer code LEFT9 to get 20% off when you create your own space at squarespace.com. Whether you are walking or driving in your car, throw your hands high, tell me who you are, say hello, 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 Muslim Americans are no strangers to stereotypes. Bet you go home and learn how to make bombs. Get on a plane back to Pakistan. More than a decade after 9-11, hate crimes against Muslims are on the rise. A woman in custody facing hate crime charges after telling police she pushed the man to his death because she thought he was a Muslim. And the Boston Marathon bombing has them fearing even more backlash. We travel to the town of Kingston in upstate New York, not far from where a mosque was desecrated in 2010. A racial slur was spray-painted on the wall of a mosque. And we've set up shop at the Home Plate Deli. Can I help you? Mina, the man behind the counter. I'm playing the Middle Eastern victim. And Oliver, the racist provoking him. I am the bigot. Are both actors. I don't want a terrorist touching my food or taking my order. The terrorist behind the counter. Not much reaction until this man speaks up. You wake him a hard time for him. He's a Muslim. Yeah, you, man. They want to blow up the whole country. 
and everybody's like that. We got to be better than that. You understand what I'm trying to say? We are better than that. We're Americans. They get your leave. You're pissing me off. Act like a jackwad in here in front of all these people. You don't have to carry on like a white. Obviously, he, he bothered you. Everybody's afraid to say something to him. Um, I wasn't, you know. Look, I, I would have been happy just to deck him, but... Back at the deli counter, Oliver isn't talking turkey, but 9-11. You Muslim? Yeah. I don't want an Arab Muslim taking my order. Can I talk to an American? Let me take your order. No, 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 no. I don't want you to take my order. I don't forget 9-11, buddy, okay? They're Muslim. Terrorists. Do you want to buy this or do you, can't believe this. or do you want to leave? You can't believe this? I can't believe you. I feel like I'm in a dream right now. Is this really happening? Do you forget 9-11? I'm sure that that kid was not involved in 9-11. Relatives were. He represents his people. Are you going to make that judgment of everybody that you see that looks different than you? I know what an American looks like. I'm an American. Do you know what an American looks like? And yeah. they're all white? Is that what you're saying? No. Say to her, look, I'm like your brother. We're family. I'm just like your brother. I would hope that my brother wouldn't act that way, dude. I hope that my brother never acts the way you're acting right now. But you're clearly affected by it, huh? Yeah. I have a little brother. I feel like a lot of young kids might think that way. They might be, you know, nervous about everything that did happen and not know. I just, I don't think that it's right for people to, to act that way. Over the course of the day, more customers stand up for our Muslim deli worker. I think you're being inappropriate right now. If you're not happy, you need to leave. I'm not okay with the way you're talking now. You're being, like, so racist. Everybody's walking around like that as a terrorist? He looks like one. You're an idiot. I apologize to my friend here. And then we meet this man. Looks like a Muslim. Yeah. And I've just, I've been coming here a long time. It's just... I hear you. Okay. Yeah, right? I didn't need to hire a Muslim, you know? Get a an American. Yeah, right. We wonder, yeah. does he really agree? I mean, this is how it starts, you know? Yeah. No, start working no. at one of these places and... Yep. Send all the money home. Right. Well, yeah. I'm worried about, I don't know, like a bomb or something. Yeah, yeah I don't trust anyone. Muslims say they hate our country. Death to America. I know. I hear you. I mean... No, there are a million of them. They all want to blow this place up. Time for us to hear more from him. You agree with what he was saying? He was telling the truth, you know what I mean? Some people watching this might say it's racist. Well, yeah, some people might. It's kind of hard to see the difference between Muslim, terrorists. You're not saying they're all terrorists, are you? No, I'm just saying it's hard to decide who's who. I mean, they blend in with regular communities, get regular jobs, you know, learn what they need to learn, do what they need to do, and then they strike. And then happens. Now the final test. He's a soldier. He's in uniform. A member of the U.S. Army steps up to the counter. Hey, hey don't deal with this guy. He's a Muslim. <laughs> Is he laughing? Why is that funny? Unroll? Hold, hold on. What happened? This guy's a Muslim. We live in America. He can, he can have any religion he wants. Aren't you fighting against these guys? Not at the moment. Right now, I'm ordering a sandwich. I don't think you should be working here. Oh, okay. Fire chips and move out. 
He doesn't follow orders. Look, I'd like to order some food, just not from you, okay? Get out. Put the chips down and go buy them somewhere else. You want me to leave this place? You have a choice to shop anywhere, just like he has a choice to practice his religion anywhere. That's the reason I wear the uniform, so anyone can live free in this country. Leave the man alone, buy your stuff, and leave. Time to tell this soldier this is one battle he no longer has to fight. How are you, sir? How are you, sir? I'm John Quinones with ABC's What Would You Do, the TV show. You gotta a, be kidding me. He was an actor. <laughs> People might say that's very heroic, what you said. Is it? No, sir. No, heroes come in many shapes and sizes, but that wasn't heroic at all. That was just being a person and standing up for someone else. But what principles were you defending? Everyone's inalienable rights. Everyone's. Everyone's in this country. If you're Muslim. It doesn't matter to me, sir. If you're an American, you're an American, period. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground. Won't be turned around And I'll keep this world from dragging me down Gonna stand my ground And I won't back down Bob Eckel is the resident liberal on Fox News. Okay. Well, you know already this is funny. Uh, but he's lately taken upon himself to do a jihad against all Muslims. Uh, now, he had gotten in some degree of trouble before when he said, after the Boston bombings, that we should not allow Muslims to get visas to enter this country anymore. Blanket. Not Muslim radicals, not Muslim terrorists, not even Muslim fundamentalists that you could worry about, hey, well, what if they got radicalized, right? No, blanket statement. All Muslims can't come into the country anymore if Bob Beckel, the liberal on Fox News, had his way. Well, he's decided, not good enough. I'm going to take it a little bit more over the time. Now, in this case, the program, the five that he's on, they were talking about the Islamic militant group Boko Haram, which is in Nigeria, not the United States of America. Nonetheless, here's what Beckel says. This, this specific group targets schools and kills kids. They are a bunch of thugs, murderers, and they go after schools, that have, the Christian schools. They've done this. They burn them down. We don't do that here. If we burn down your mosque here, you'd be really upset. The fact of the matter is, these guys are murderers. They're terrorists. And if this is what the prophet told you to do, then the prophet was wrong. Now, I already got enough bail from you all. And you don't like what I say about not letting your students come here. If it were up to me, I would not have another mosque. Built in this country until we got it worked out who was not a terrorist. And by the oh, way, there we go. has somebody out there, is any Muslim out there, any Muslim cleric, any Muslim leader said, said anything about this? No, you're cowardly because you're afraid they're going to put a, what they call the fatwa on you. Well, fatwa this. <laughs> put her there. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And they're so excited on Fox. They're like, oh, that's the liberal we like. <laughs> you know, just smear. One billion Muslims and be the most open bigot on Fox News when you're the liberal. High five! And same thing after everyone. Oh, they didn't condemn. See, these Muslim groups, they never condemn anything. Now, I've already shown you dozens of quotes from every major Muslim American group condemning every attack. But in case you weren't clear, you know, there's the thing that got them excited in the first place and said we shouldn't give the visas is the Boston bombings. Here's what the largest Muslim American group, uh, which is the Care had said, 
and this is their executive director, uh, Nihad Awad. He said, American Muslims, like Americans of all backgrounds, condemn in the strongest possible terms today's cowardly bomb attack on participants and spectators of the Boston Marathon. But after every one of these events, some idiot like Bob Beckel gets on TV and says, oh, they never say anything. Well, idiot, you didn't ask. You didn't look. How hard do they have to scream? In fact, they would come on Fox News and read that statement, but you won't let them. And then you say, oh, no, no, well, they didn't say it. They didn't say, oh, no, no. And a Nigerian bombing, I don't even know if, who knew about the Nigerian bombing. Does this care a Muslim American group have a responsibility? And they probably put out a statement anyway. <laughs> to go over there and say what they did in Nigeria is wrong. No, this is a way of attacking all Muslims. They have forgotten that they're supposed to be subtle about it. And Bob Beckel comes out here and says, basically, no more mosques in America. Ironically, because of, again, a bombing in Nigeria that has nothing to do with Muslim Americans at all. right? But facts be damned. And let's just call a spade a spade. I mean, Bob Beckel is a bigot. He is a person who's incredibly foolish and hateful. To think that, all, remember in the beginning of that statement, he started talking about the Nigerian group. And then he transitioned to all Muslims. All Muslims are trained to be terrorists from the beginning. Now, I'm an agnostic now. I don't believe in any of the religions. Fundamentalist Islam drives me crazy. Fundamentalist Christianity does, etc. I think fundamentalism is a scourge of the earth. I'm very clear on that. Okay, But when I was born into a Muslim family, they didn't train me to be a terrorist. They didn't train any of my, you know what they trained us for? Soccer. Okay. Now, I mean, come on. How hateful do you have to be to say that? Apparently, he knows no Muslims, doesn't care to know them, and would kick them out of the country and prevent them from worshiping if he had his chance. These are the guys who, by the way, are supposed to stand for faith. Oh, there's a war on Christmas. We stand for faith. I mean, of course, our faith, not your faith. We hate your faith. We'd like to declare a holy war on your faith. And we'd like to get our resident liberal to do it. And this is the oldest Fox News trick in the book. I, no, the conservatives didn't say it. We brought on a liberal to say the most horrible thing you could possibly imagine. Sure, yes, of course, look. that. Don't blame me. It's the liberal who thinks that there should be no more mosques in America and no more Muslims admitted into America. The problem with people like Beckel is that they start wars. And they get a lot of people killed, right? Because this, this is how you do hate propaganda. And so it's all of us versus all of them. And it's, it's not the fundamentalists that are doing the bombings, whether it's, the, by the way, of course, the Atlanta bombings, the Olympic bombings done by a Christian fundamentalist, the abortion clinic bombings done by Christian fundamentalists, should we stop building all churches? Of course, they're not going to mention that on Fox News. They would lose their minds if you mentioned it on there, right? It's not that. It's not the terrorists. It's, no, no, no. It's us versus them. And so it's Bob Beckel tries to get you to hate all of them. And what does that lead to? Will it lead to some hate crimes in America? Of course it will. And is Bob Beckel partly responsible for that? Yeah, of course he is. He's trying to get you to hate all Muslims, and then some idiots will react by attacking, by the way, Muslims and non-Muslims, like the shooting at the Sikh temple. They always go after the Sikhs first. Sikhs are not Muslims. But if you're an idiot who listens to Bob Beckel, you're so stupid, you'd believe anything and, and attack the wrong guy. Besides which, if you attacked a Muslim, you'd be attacking the wrong guy. And most of the Muslims that are in this country came to this country because they love America. And they're secular. And they believe in the idea of America. And instead, Bob Beckel turns around and says, attack them. 
And then that idea grows and grows and grows until you've got two camps that hate each other and go to war. And in which case Bob Beckel is, is ecstatic because he's a hate monger and he's a loathsome guy who wants to spew his hate, which is boiling and apparently very much building inside of him. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. So now we're going to talk a little bit more about Howard Kurtz because we we talked about this last week on the show. This is the way people at Fox were talking about Muslims because of the Boston thing. Here's how they were talking about it. We know there's one bottom line. In the Muslim communities around the world, they do not like us. This is a situation we all face in America. The jihad is real. Radical Muslims are killing innocent people and threatening the world. You know, we, we bring these people in, even though they're, they're radical Muslims, they, we have to figure they don't much like us. We bring them in. Let me just say this about uh, the access that Muslims have in this country, whether they're American Muslims or whether they're here on a student visa, it, it is enormous, the access that they have, and it is virtually all radical. Senator, uh, very quickly, <laughs> there are some who are getting very leery of all the... The, the, the Muslim students in America. What are the theology? I just love all the Muslim students. All of a sudden, they're all radical. Yeah, two guys just flip out and start mm -hmm. that blow up a bomb that kills three people. And with all the Muslim students, what's going on? We've been but Okay, you got some more the to say. In this world, justifies murdering innocent people. The answer is only radical Islam allows terror murder. That's the truth. He's also very dangerous. He's, he's so now they're talking about now this guy Eric Bowling is going to talk about the only Muslim congressman in the United States Congress. Kind of been like the Muslim apologist in Congress for a long time. He swore he raised his right hand uh, and took the oath of office on the Koran. If you remember in 2007, Keith Ellison did. I think it's time for profiling, though, don't you, Ange? I think it's time for pro profiling because I do. Okay, so that's how they were talking. It's kind of stunning, right, Ron? When you yeah, hear yeah, it? yeah. As soon as he said Koran, it's like oh, so he goes, he's dangerous. He raises right because that's his religion, you idiot. Right. He's not. He's not if a, he'd sworn on the Bible, it wouldn't have been uh, legitimate right. because he's not a Christian. And he doesn't believe right. it. Yeah. So Howard Kurtz decided to tackle this, and so this is a guy. I'm so glad he got fired. He's the worst guy in the media, and he, he's the watchdog. So he can't help but do the false equivalency. So Jenk Uger was going on the show from the Young Turks, and I saw him the night before. He came out to the show at the Improv last Saturday. Sold out shows. Thanks for coming, you guys. It was fantastic to see you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he could not work that in. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I told him, I said, you're going on reliable sources. Just remember this. Both sides do it, Cenk. Both sides do it. Both sides do it. So let's listen to how Howard Kurtz sets up the piece. Ready? Here's Howard Kurtz setting it up. The coverage of the Boston bombing took a sharp turn this week as the narrative moved to the motivation of the Sarnia brothers and whether federal authorities had bungled the case. There was some angry talk about Muslims as much of the media world picked sides pointed fingers and engaged in ideological sniping. Both, so he got right away, both sides. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when you say both sides, what do you... So they, you? they immediately play a clip from The Five on Fox. This is Bob Beckel. I want to rethink now and say, do we want to allow any more Muslim students into this country, take a period of time, two years, three years, four years, and just stop that uh, from happening? I think we also have to examine... So now he shows Tom Brokaw. So this is, apparently this is his attempt to show the left is pointing fingers. Right. Oh, that, that, that uh, radical lefty Tom Brokaw. That yeah. radical lefty Tom Brokaw, who, has, who got a journalism award from the military. That's how bad yeah. right. of a journalist he is. Right. He's beloved by the military. <laughs> okay, so here, here's Tom Brokaw. This is his idea of a lefty. The use of drones that the United States is involved in, and there are a lot of civilians who are innocently killed in a drone attack in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, and in Iraq. So how exactly would you fight the war against terrorism, Tom? You want to invade Pakistan? I think that that Krauthammer and O'Reilly going after the president and saying he's not being tough enough on Muslims smells a little bit like a precursor to, is the president actually secretly a Muslim? So that's Alex Wagner wow. on MSNBC saying that Krautheimer and O'Reilly are coming very close again. Is it the president a Muslim? Watch how Howard Kurtz spins that. Watch how Howard Kurtz. So what explains the ugliness that erupted just a week after the marathon was marred by violence? Joining us now in Los Angeles, Jenk Uger, host of The Young Turks on Current TV and on the web. In Seattle, Michael Medved, host of the syndicated Michael Medved radio show. And here in Washington, Jane Hall, associate professor at American University's School of Communications. Jake Uger has the tone on the airwaves about what happened in Boston gotten too vitriolic. So now Jank tells it the way it is. Here's the straight, here's the dope. Straight well, dope. it has, but we know why. I mean, let's be honest about who makes it vitriolic. It's usually Fox News uh, talking about Muslims, which is ironic uh, because uh, this is the same Bill O'Reilly who kept calling Dr. Tiller, Dr. Tiller the baby killer until Scott Roeder shot him. So here's a fundamentalist that's a Christian worried about fundamentalists who are Muslims and driving uh, people to violence. I, I mean, understand. Incredibly ironic. So here comes the false equivalency. Ready? Get it. And the wind up. And I understand <laughs> why you as a liberal would want to blame Fox News. But when you have... <laughs> I understand why you as a liberal want to blame Fox News. Because you're a liberal. Because you saw the tape. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So here, here he goes. Have something as we just played. Uh, MSNBC's Alex Wagner saying that Charles Krauthammer and Bill O'Reilly are on the verge of calling President Obama a Muslim because, they, because of the criticism of the president's remarks. Neither of those guys has gone anywhere near that garbage. So it's not entirely just on one side. <laughs> They're on the verge. So she, so he says. Both sides do it. So, so he, I have that is to me that goes down as the ultimate false equivalency of all time. Saying that Alex Wagner, saying that what Bill O'Reilly was doing is coming very close to calling the president is both sides do it. Somehow both sides are what? She was pointing out how the other side is doing it, and that's again what's wrong with this goddamn. And also, like the shallowness of him saying. 
Um, well, I can see as a liberal how you would criticize yes. Fox without uh. without spending a minute um, analyzing what exactly it was that was said. So you're hearing this hateful, racist stuff coming, and I don't care if it's coming from Fox, wherever it would be coming from. It's people targeting all Muslims and 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 saying these uh, racist things, and then Howard Kurtz immediately says, well, I can see as a liberal, I mean, it, it was on Fox, so I can <laughs> see why you would criticize him, not caring at all about what was said. Not, not caring about the substance of it at all, just I'm going to dismiss yeah. your opinion, not because of that your opinion is dismissible, but because I dismiss you as a person. Yeah. So I invited you on my show, and then I dismiss your opinion immediately. That's what Howard Kurtz did. So let's listen. There's a little bit. Howard Kurtz goes on a little bit more. Let's go. Well, so here's how Jenk responds to that. I mean, that's it, it's a funny way of balancing things out, Howard. I mean, on the one side, you have a guy who keeps saying Muslim terrorist, Muslim terrorist, trying to equate the two. On the other side, you have someone saying, hey, maybe that's not that wise. And maybe they're implying something here that they shouldn't be implying. So I don't equate those two as equal. It just to say that one side does something 1% or 10% may be wrong doesn't justify the other side doing something 100% wrong. And if right. Bill O'Reilly wants to keep going in that direction, hey, listen, there's, you know this is 1995, 56% of the terrorist acts in the United States have been right-wing terrorists. Let Only me jump 12% in. Let me have jump been in Muslim I want to bring Michael. Let me bring in. So as soon as Jenk started to make an actual point with facts and figures, right, right. Howard Kurtz could not stop, stop talking over him enough. Oh, wait a minute. Here's some actual facts. Let's listen to Dane Hall, let me take you back to this core question. Why are some hosts and some pundits on the warpath, ideologically and otherwise, over this Boston tragedy? I think that Fox is practically waging a campaign to link the words radical and Islam. I don't think radical Islam is a religion. I think uh, what happens can be a perversion, from what I understand, of religion. I don't think the media should shy away from looking at how these young men got radicalized, what they, what he learned when he went to back to Russia. I don't think we should shy away, and I think sometimes we do. But I think that there is a difference between endlessly linking this and saying, you know, they're they're helpfully having visuals that say radical Islam with these young men's pictures and talking about how they should have been shot in the boat and how the, the wife of one of the suspects should be imprisoned simply because she was wearing a, a headdress uh, in the Muslim religion. Not, I think that everybody is, on Fox is saying that. Many <laughs> Howard Kurtz, uh. not everybody on Fox is saying that. Just a lot of people. That's, that's a lot his... of people are saying it, but not everybody. Just the people who have shows. Just the people who have shows and a microphone and a camera pointed at them. Not that, that is his defense. Many people on Fox are saying that. Many people on Fox are saying that. I'm, I'm sorry, that's just not true. Ann Coulter made a couple of really outrageous comments, which disturbed me as well. But you, you are not hearing stuff like uh, other than from Ann Coulter. So I just played it. I just played for you guys all that stuff we heard on Fox News. Right. And he's here's Michael Medved lying, just completely lying, saying that it was just Ann Coulter said something. Everybody else at Fox has been super yeah. duper. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's something else. He ah uh, ah. Uh, of course. Okay. And you know what? I would point out that that Ann Coulter is uh, you know is a very small part of Fox. She's only on every night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen, so if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show, after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restrictions, so if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Assalamu alaikum. Lovely to see you all here tonight. We are having a very entertaining night, are we not? With some very interesting things being said. Uh, from the other side of the house tonight, um, let me begin by saying, as a Muslim, as a representative of Islam, I would consider myself an ambassador for Islam, a believer in Islam, a follower of Islam and its prophet. So, in that capacity, let me begin by apologizing to Anne-Marie for the Bali bombings. I apologize for the role of my religion and me and my people, uh, for the killing of Theo van Gogh for 7-7. Yes, that was all of us. That was Islam, that was Muslims, that was the Quran. I mean, astonishing, astonishing claims uh, to make in the very first speech tonight, on a day like today, where the Conservative Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is having to come out and point out that these kind of views are anathema. And I believe you're trying to stand for the Labour Party to become an MP in Brighton. If you do uh, and you make these comments, I'm guessing you'll have the whip withdrawn from you. But then again, UKIP's on the rise. They'll take you, the BNP. They might have uh, something to say about your views. By the way, 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 just on a factual point, since we heard a lot about the second speaker, about how backward we Muslims all are, on a factual point, you said that Islam was born in Saudi Arabia. Islam was born in 610 AD. Saudi Arabia was born in 1932 AD. So you were only 1,322 years off. Not bad? Not bad start there. Uh, talking of maths, by the way, a man named Al-Qawarizmi was one of the greatest mathematicians of all time, a Muslim, worked in the golden age of Islam. He's the guy who came up with not just algebra, but algorithms. Without algorithms, you wouldn't have laptops. Without laptops, Daniel Johnson tonight wouldn't have been able to print out his speech in which he came to berate us Muslims for holding back the advance and intellectual achievements of the West, which all happened without any contribution from anyone else other than the Judeo-Christian people of Europe. In fact, Daniel David Levering, the author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning historian and author of The Golden Crucible, points out that there would be no Renaissance, there would be no Reformation in Europe without the role played by Ibn Sina and Ibn Rushd and some of the great Muslim theologians, philosophers, scientists in bringing Greek texts to Europe. As for this being our university, I will leave that to the imagination as to who is our and who is there. Uh, I studied here too. Um, an astonishing, astonishing set of uh, speeches so far making this case tonight. Uh, a mixture of just cherry-picked quotes, facts and figures, self-serving, selective, a farrago of distortions, misrepresentations, 
misinterpretations, misquotations. Uh, Daniel talked about my article in the New Statesman, which got me a lot of flack, where I talked about the anti-Semitism that is prevalent in some parts of the Muslim community, which indeed it is. Uh, of course, I didn't say in that piece that it was caused by the religion of Islam. In fact, uh, modern anti-Semitism in the Middle East was imported from, finish the sentence, Christian, Judeo-Christian Europe, where I believe some certainly bad things happened to the Jewish people. In fact, Tom Friedman, Jewish-American columnist in the New York Times, told me in this very chamber last week that he believed, had Muslims been running Europe in the 1940s, six million extra Jews would still be alive today. So I'm not going to take lessons in anti-Semitism from someone who's here to defend the Judeo-Christian values of a continent that murdered six million Jews. Uh, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I'm about to make that point. No, 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 I'm about to make that point. You're right. I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you 110%. That is my point. I don't think Europe is evil or bad. I'm a very proud European. I don't want to judge Europe on the basis. But if we're going to play this gutter game where we pull out the Bali bombing and we pull out examples of anti-Semitism in the Islamic community, then of course I'm going to come back and say, well, hold on. I mean, look, let's be very clear. Daniel here was a last-minute replacement for Douglas Murray, who had to pull out. And Douglas and I have a well-documented differences. But to be fair to Douglas, as to be fair to Anne-Marie and to Peter, atheists. Atheists see all religions as evil, violent, threatening. What the problem I have with Daniel's speech is that Daniel comes here to mount this robust defense of Christianity, forgetting that his fellow Christians, people who said they were acting in the name of Jesus, gave us the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the anti-Jewish pogroms, European colonialism in Africa and Asia, the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda, not to mention countless arson and bomb attacks on abortion clinics in the United States of America to this very day. I would like a little bit of humility from Daniel first before he begins lecturing other communities and other faiths on violence, terror and intolerance. But, no thank you. Some water. Drink some water. But I would say this, to address the gentleman's very valid point here, I'm not going to play that game. I don't actually believe that Christianity is a religion of violence and hate because of what the LRA does in Uganda or what, uh, what crusaders did uh, to Jews and Muslims in Jerusalem when they took back the city in the 12th or 13th or whatever century it was. I believe that Christianity, like Islam, like pretty much every mainstream religion, is based on love and compassion and faith. I do follow a religion in which 113 out of the 114 chapters of the Quran begins by introducing the God of Islam as a God of mercy and compassion. I would not have it any other way. I don't follow a religion which introduces my God to me as a God of war, as some kind of Greek God of wrath, uh, as a God of hate and injustice. Not at all. As Adam pointed out, you go through the Quran and you see the mercy and the love and the justice. And yes, you have verses that refer to warfare and violence. Of course it does. This is not a motion about pacifism. I'm not here to argue that Islam is a pacifistic faith. It is not. Islam allows military action, violence in certain limited contexts. And yes, a minority of Muslims do take it out of that context. But is it religious? We talked about Woolwich. Daniel and Anne-Marie have suggested that it's definitely religion that's behind all of this. Well, actually, what I find so amusing tonight is we're having a debate about Islam. 
and the opposition tonight have come forward. We have a graduate in law, a graduate in modern history, a graduate in chemistry. Uh, and, you know, I admire all of their intellects and their abilities, but we don't have anyone who's actually a, an expert on Islam, a scholar of Islam, a historian of Islam, a speaker of Arabic, even a terrorism expert or a security expert or a pollster, let alone to talk about what Muslims believe or think. Instead, we have people coming here, putting forward these views, putting forward these sweeping opinions. Listen to Professor Robert Pape of the University of Chicago, one of America's leading terrorism experts, who, unlike our esteemed opposition tonight, studied every single case of suicide terrorism between 1980 and 2005, 315 cases in total. And he concluded, and I quote, there is little connection between suicide terrorism and Islamic fundamentalism or any of the world's religions. Rather, what nearly all suicide terrorist attacks have in common is a specific secular and strategic goal to compel modern democracies to withdraw military forces from territory that the terrorists consider to be their homeland. And the irony is, when we talk about terrorism, the irony is that the opposition and the Muslim terrorists, the Al-Qaeda types, actually have one thing in common. Because they both believe that Islam is a warlike, violent religion. They both agree on that. They have everything in common. Osama bin Laden would be nodding along to everything he's heard tonight from the opposition side. He agrees with them. The problem is, the problem is that mainstream Muslims don't. The majority of Muslims around the world don't. In fact, a gentleman here started quoting all sorts of polls. Gallup carried out the biggest poll of Muslims around the world of 50,000 Muslims in 35 countries. 93% of Muslims rejected 9-11 and suicide attacks. And of the 7% who didn't, they all, when polled and focus grouped, cited political reasons for their support for violence, not religious reasons. And as for Islamic scholars and what they say, well... Daniel talks about our University of Oxford. We'll go down to Oxford's Centre for Islamic Studies, get hold of a man named Sheikh Afifi Al-Akiti, who is a massively well-credentialed and well-respected Islamic scholar, who has studied across the world, who in the days after 7-7 published a fatwa denouncing terrorism in the name of Islam, calling for the protection of all non-combatants at all times, and describing suicide bombings as an innovation with no basis in Islamic law. Go and listen to Sheikh Tahir al-Qadri, one of Pakistan's most famous Islamic scholars, who published a 600-page fatwa, condemning the killing of all innocents and all suicide bombings unconditionally without any ifs or buts. There's nothing new here. This is mainstream Islam, mainstream scholarship, which has said this for years. You don't go out and kill people willy-nilly in the high street or anywhere else on a bus or a mall based on verses of the Quran that you cherry-pick without any context, any understanding, any interpretation or any commentary. Please. Well, it's, it's, it doesn't happen apparently. I didn't say it doesn't happen at all. I never said it didn't happen. I don't blame Islam. Yes, it's a very good point. And a lot of us, a lot of us, are campaigning against that. And we're campaigning against it in the name of Islam. We're campaigning against it in the name of various interpretations of Islam. Anne-Marie comes and scares us with her talk of Sharia law. I would like to see the book of Sharia law. It doesn't exist. People argue over what Sharia law is. And you empower the extremists by saying there is only one version. You empower them all. I don't believe you Several took any interruptions, Anne-Marie, so I think you should stay there for a moment. Here's, here's what we're dealing with. Here's what we're dealing with. We are dealing, I took your point, I took your point. Here we are dealing with a 1,400-year-old global religion followed by 1.6 billion people in every corner of the world, a quarter of humanity, of all backgrounds, cultures, ethnicities. And yet the opposition tonight wants to generalize, stereotype, smear in order to desperately win this debate. 
And here's my question, if we're going to generalize and smear. If, okay, people say yesterday's bombers and we've got to be careful, there's a trial going on, were yesterday's attackers, sorry, motivated by Islam? Big debate. I don't believe they were. Let's say they were. Let's say Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, was motivated by Islam. Let's assume, for sake of argument, uh, that Richard Reeves, the shoe bomber, was motivated by Islam. If Islam is responsible for these killings, if Islam is what is motivating these people, and Islam is therefore not a religion of peace or religion of war, then ask yourself this question, why aren't the rest of us doing it? Why is it such a tiny minority of Muslims are interpreting their religion in the way that the opposition claim they are? Let's assume there are 16,000 suicide bombers in the world. There aren't. Let's assume there are for the sake of argument. That's 0.001% of the Muslim population globally. What about the other 99.99% of Muslims who the opposition tonight either ignore or smear? The reality is that the rest of us aren't blowing ourselves up tonight. The reality is that the opposition came here tonight not worried about the fact that me and Adam might pull open our jackets and blow ourselves up tonight because we're followers of a warlike warrior religion which wants to take over Europe and Daniel's university. The issue is this. <laughs> the issue is this. Unless the opposition can tell us tonight, and Peter Atkins is here, one of our great atheist intellectuals, can tell us tonight, can they can answer this question tonight, why don't the vast majority of Muslims around the world behave as violently and aggressively as a tiny minority of politically motivated extremists, then they might as well give up and stop pretending they have anything relevant to say about Islam or Muslims as a whole. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this to you. Think about what the opposite of this motion is. If you vote no tonight, think about what you're saying the opposite motion is. That Islam isn't a religion of peace, it's a religion of war, of violence, of terror, of aggression. That the people who follow Islam, me, my wife, my retired parents, my six-year-old child, that 1.8 million of your fellow British residents and citizens, that 1.6 billion people across the world, your fellow human beings, are all followers, promoters, believers in a religion of violence. Do you really think that? Do you really believe that to be the case? They say that in the Oxford Union, the most famous debate was in 1933, when Adolf Hitler looked out for the result of the king and country motion, where they voted against fighting for king and country, and Hitler was listening out for the result. Well, tonight, 80 years on, there are two groups of people around the world who I would argue are waiting for the result of tonight's vote. There are the millions of peaceful, non-violent, law-abiding Muslims, both in the UK, Europe, Asia, Africa, and beyond, who see Islam as the source of their identity, as a source of spiritual fulfillment, of hope of solace and there are the phobes the haters the bigots out there who want to push the clash of civilizations who want to divide all of us into them and us and ours and their ladies and gentlemen I urge you all not to fuel the arguments of the phobes and bigots don't legitimize their divisions don't legitimize their hate trust those Muslims who you know, who you've met, who you hear, who don't believe in violence, who do want you to hear the peaceful message of the Qur'an as they believe it to be taught to the majority of Muslims, the Islam of peace and compassion and mercy, the Islam of the Qur'an, not of Al-Qaeda. Ladies and gentlemen, I beg to propose this motion to the House. I urge you to vote yes tonight. Thank you very much for your time. Al Jazeera America launches this week and it's being described as something a journalism professor would imagine due to its 14 hours of straight news every day. Right-wing media, however, saw something else, a chance to spread fact-free Islamophobia. But look, they're, they're an Arab news channel and let's face it, many, if not most, Arabs probably support uh, what bin Laden was trying to do in terms of killing Americans. Just a few years ago, we all knew exactly who Al Jazeera was. Tonight at midnight, 48 million Americans start having it spill into their homes. And they haven't changed their anti-American views. They just have 
stop saying them here in America and then hired a very slick PR department and they have friends in extraordinarily high places. Far easier than watching the network and judging its content on the merits, the conservative media figures would rather play to their Islamophobic base and demonize the effort. Now, Mike Huckabee is former governor of Arkansas, ran for president, of course, in 2008, and uh, was fairly successful. Obviously, he didn't win the primary overall. Uh, he's uh, got um, uh, a show now. He's got a radio show. He's got a show on Fox News. And uh, he decided that he was going to talk about uh, Muslims. And to say that he was offensive is uh, soft-pedaling it. So let's go to Mike Huckabee. I know we're not supposed to say anything unkind about Islam. I mean, it's politically incorrect. I get that. But could someone explain to me why it is that we tiptoe around a religion that promotes the most murderous mayhem on the planet in their so-called holiest days? You know, if you've kept up with the Middle East, you know that the most likely time to have an uprising of rock-throwing and rioting comes on the day of prayer on Friday. So the Muslims will go to the mosque and they will have their day of prayer and they come out of there uh, like uncorked animals. Wow, uncorked animals. Now, of course, the major problem here, among many, is he keeps saying the Muslims, the Muslims, the Muslims. I got news for you, 99.999% of Muslims that come out of holy prayers do not come out and do acts of violence or bombings, they're not uncorked animals. You know what they do? They go home, they have a nice meal, they hang out with their family. The problem is people like Mike Huckabee don't know any Muslims, so it's easy for them to demonize people. He doesn't hang out with Muslims and his friend doesn't come out of the prayer and come and have a meal with him. So he sees some on TV. Now, which are the ones he's going to see on TV? If there's an act of violence somewhere in the world, somewhere in the Muslim world, and they show it, people say, okay, all I ever see of Muslims is the violence that I see. Now, I don't know, Mike Huckabee could be stupid and not understand that fairly easy concept. Or he does understand it, but he wants to promote to all of his listeners that Muslims are uncorked animals, they're savages, and all they know is violence. And even though he knows the irrationality of that statement, he doesn't really care because he's a hate monger. Now, uh, he's now going to talk about Christians and how they would never do such a thing. I have an interesting thing to say about that. Let's hear him out first. Now, my point is, I mean, do you ever say, oh boy, we, it's Christmas. Oh my gosh, these Christians are going to come out of that Christmas Eve service and they are going to Walmart and they are going to so rip that place apart because you know what happens when they go in there and pray about Jesus and they get out of there and then they go straight to the mall and they just, I mean, they set fire to the place. I mean, when Christians get out of their Christmas services, about the worst thing they do is commit the sin of gluttony when they go, uh, you know, to some Christmas dinner, be it at a restaurant or at someone's home. I, I don't really recall that the government has to issue in a warning and say, "Look out! It's Easter. Those Christians are coming. They'll be they'll be throwing eggs all over town." It's that's just not what we do. No, no, no. Christians would never do any act of violence. Now, look, I, I'm not going to go into history, Crusades, Inquisition, etc. And there's a fair argument for that. Hey, that's ancient history. Now, let's talk about today. What do Christians do? 
I'm not worried about their Easter eggs. I'm not worried about their Christmas dinners that are lovely. I'd rather enjoy them. What I'm worried about is what they do at the ballot box. They go and vote for evangelical Republicans who start more and more wars. In fact, they demand that they start those wars. Do you know that the evangelical leadership wrote a letter to President Bush when President Bush once made the mistake of saying there should be a roadmap to peace between Palestine and Israel? The leadership wrote to him and said, no, we don't want peace in the Middle East. Because if we have peace, then we can't get to Armageddon and the return of Christ. I'm not kidding and I'm not making it up, okay? I was shocked by it. Even though I cover this stuff all the time, it's still amazing that they're willing to write a letter saying we do not want a roadmap to peace. And Bush had to respond and say, well, I didn't quite mean it that way, I meant it in another way. And they push leaders like George Bush into more and more wars in the Middle East, like the Iraq War. So Christians, they don't do violence at the micro level. Oh, you get out and you throw stones or you do a bombing. No, that's way too small for the Christian fundamentalists. Christian fundamentalists do violence on a mass scale. They start wars where hundreds of thousands of people die. They do violence right. You see, they've got a machine built for that violence. But it's okay because they have lovely Christmas dinners and those Easter eggs, they're so pretty with all those different colors. You see, their military machine is disconnected from when they come out of church. They vote, they press that button either way, and all those Iraqis, hundreds and thousands of civilians died anyway. But that doesn't count because they're good Christians. You can't blame them for all the wars they started. No, look, I don't like the fundamentalists of any religion. Whether it's the fundamentalist Jews that are going around spitting on poor Jewish girls trying to go to school. Whether it's fundamentalist Muslims that do do that violence, that throw acid in the face of girls trying to go to school, or that do bombings. But fundamentalist Christians are just as dangerous, if not more dangerous than any of them. Because unfortunately, they have access to the mightiest military built in history and they're perfectly willing to use it to kill on a mass scale. This is Casey from Chicago, Illinois. I am calling in response to Jeff from Ohio. He left a message on your last show from 9-12. My name is Jeff. I'm calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Regarding minimum wage and, and the effects that it would have on uh, on smaller fast food chains versus you know larger corporations. Because what would happen is that if they force people to pay high wages, the McDonald's and Burger Kings and all the other larger corporations will survive. Whereas the smaller, more independent startups, they struggle. Um, I wanted to draw his attention. Actually, there's a uh, there's a fast food restaurant uh, out in uh, Dearborn Heights, Michigan, which is where I'm originally from, uh, the Detroit area. Uh, it's called Moo Cluck Moo, and uh, it is an independent, organic fast food restaurant uh, that serves again organic food, both chicken and. Uh, hamburgers along with organic fries and some other stuff 
uh, and they have been paying their workers close to $12 an hour, uh, and they just recently announced they're going to be paying their workers. Uh, they're going to be jumping to the $15 an hour mark because it's the right thing to do. And, and, and you know, Jeff, I have nothing against you, my friend, but um, the argument is flawed that smaller corporations can't, or smaller companies can't afford to pay their workers more. And, you know, towards the end of that, you made the argument that just because somebody is educated more that they don't deserve to make more money. Now you have adults with families and some of them have more education. And just because they have families and more education doesn't mean they deserve more money, right? I don't think that's a fair move. And uh, I disagree with you uh, on that. Uh, education does not mean that they deserve to make more money. But I think what it means is that we as a society have to make a determination of what a, uh, a, a day's work is worth. And we have to make a decision, and that's why the minimum wage argument itself is flawed, and we should move the idea of a living wage. What should we, as a society, be willing to pay somebody for their day's work? And what does a living wage look like? What can we, as a society, do morally and foundationally and fundamentally to make sure that those around us are, in fact, able to take care of their families? This argument is only more evidence because the, the minimum wage is so low in the top 1% of us, their, their income continues to grow while the bottom 99% has grown at a rate of 0.4% over the last five years and the top 1% has grown at a rate of 40%. So uh, I'll leave it at that because I don't want to go over the time limit, but I, I just want to say those are some food for thought that you need to think about, uh, that we all need to think about what do we as a society think a living wage and a good day's work should be worth. Thanks, Jay. Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington, and I'm calling about the, uh, the racism and the drug war episode. Uh, one of the things that I think we should be, should, should add some caution to our optimism about the mandatory minimum sentence thing is that it's not necessarily the prison sentence that is the worst part of a, especially a federal drug offense. The worst part, usually that's just the beginning of it, and uh, Michelle Alexander breaks this down in her book, uh, A New Jim Crow, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. An excellent book, which is hopefully been mentioned before you know it just starts you can't go in federal housing ever you can't you know you lose in many jurisdictions your right to vote your right to own firearms your right to you know have hold certain jobs it makes it adds basically uh, opens you up to job discrimination for every application you fill out because you now have a criminal record so even if you don't serve a day in jail as a result of that drug conviction especially if it's a felony you end up with a with a criminal record that will haunt you forever so so we need to go a little bit further to 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 root out a lot of that stuff that's been added uh much of it during like the administration was the housing thing and uh there's still a long way to go and so while it's definitely uh, the flashier thing is when you imagine somebody actually behind bars you could just get three months probation and still be the worst part is still ahead when you try to ever get a job again all right thanks for the show bye 
Hi, this is Natasha from L.A. Um, I've been listening for over a year, and during this time, um, you've had a few podcasts about the legalization of drugs, but I haven't found any really good or compelling reasons to legalize drugs in all these podcasts. And in fact, listening to the most recent podcast on the topic and then the call from the most recent show um, made me think that the reasons given here are far worse than the argument that the government should just let people do what they want. For starters, I'm against drug use in general. Um, I can understand people having fun every once in a while, but I've seen the devastation that drugs can cause. And because of that, it bewilders me that we'd consider making them more available. Whether or not you agree with this, I think everyone can understand the concerns the government would have when it comes to having a society in which drugs are widespread, which is why everyone agrees that there should be anti-drug education programs. So if we take it as a given that the war on drugs is bad because people get killed as a result of it, the solution isn't to stop the war on drugs, which will only solve, solve one problem, but to stop the demand for drugs. If people wouldn't do drugs and would find a healthy way of dealing with what ails them psychologically as they would for what ails them physically, there would be no need for a war on drugs. Stopping the war on drugs because of problems in the supply chain isn't going to the source of the problem. Similarly, the recent podcast looked at drugs from the angle of race. I understand very well that if you're black, you're more likely to get locked away for drug use or for other things, um, even though the rates of drug usage are about the same within the white and black communities. Um, what I don't get is the leap that was implied in your show that if we legalize drugs, this will eliminate the problem. Legalizing drugs won't stop racism within law enforcement. That's another issue entirely and one that needs to be solved, not by making all things for which black people might get arrested legal. The parallel about the legalization of drugs and gun control from the call on the most recent, from Jay's um, commentary on the most recent po podcast proves my point even more. We don't want things around us that are dangerous for ourselves and for others, whether the danger is direct, as in to the user of drugs or to one who commits suicide, or indirect, as in those caught in crossfire or killed in car accidents with drug users. The difference between drugs and guns is that guns are immediately effective, whereas the cumulative effects of a life on drugs takes time to kill somebody, drawing out the grief of those around him or her. One proposed solution to the problem of guns in this country is to make mental health care more available. It's a good idea, especially when used as part of a plan and not the only solution. Why can't we take the same approach to drugs? Rather than allowing members of society to hide from their problems, and let's face it, the majority of Americans don't have problems like those mentioned that exist in Afghanistan. Why don't we offer solutions that promote well-being? As Jay said at the end of the most recent podcast, we need to address the root of the problem. And in this case, it would be with a society that is set up to help people. Thanks, Jay. Keep up the good work. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your firsthand experience from a political event you've attended to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So a few things today I'm just going to touch real quickly on, not go very deep into. Uh, first of all, I was surprised to not get almost any response from the commentary I did in the previous episode. I mean, maybe some is, is on the way or um, people just haven't heard it yet. That's fine. You know, but I, I talked about gun control legislation in a way that I thought would either anger people on both sides or make everyone agree. And seeing as I got 
essentially no response. It's possible that everyone just agrees and they, oh yeah, that's a perfect idea. And, you know, basically what I said was that gun control legislation on its own is sort of like giving someone Advil when what they need is antibiotics, and you know, it cures the symptoms but not the root of the problem. And and so literally the only response I got was an email from our resident conservative Wade, who's also a you know huge gun rights advocate and, and gun owner, who he wrote this email. He said, just listen to the most recent episode, best commentary I have ever heard you do, and I think that approach is at least the beginning of a bridge between liberal and conservative. You do sound a little like the NRA. You have to dig deep into NRA doctrine to understand that what they are saying is that normal people don't commit gun crime, and what you're saying is let's make more people normal then. It's a win-win. Great job, man. So, you know, for all I know, I just solved uh, the gun control debate, uh, of course, giving all the credit in the world to the uh, to the woman whose idea I stole from Netroots. But again, if you have any thoughts on that, I, I would love to hear them. Uh, secondly, today, I, I really didn't give myself enough time to to go into sort of drug war 101 in response to the voicemail that we heard today. Uh, but I, I wanted to put it out there to give people a chance to respond on their own, you know, their own thoughts and reasonings behind, you know, if you're in favor of legalizing drugs, what is your fundamental reason for it? I know I certainly have my own ideas on that. And, you know, I, and I, I really, really don't mean this to sound condescending. Everyone comes to these issues in their own way, in their own time. And, and if you come to this show and you haven't made up your mind, I certainly understand that, that people are sort of hearing the, the show that I did on, on the drug war and not understanding like, okay, so what's the argument? Like, it seems like the decision's already been made and now, you know, and, and now we move forward. So how'd that decision get made? And, and you know, honestly, like, that kind of is what happens a lot. Basically, it is sort of already agreed upon by many that drugs should be legalized, and then we just go like into the details. So there's not a lot of like drug war 101 to sort of catch people up. So I'll definitely give myself or uh, voicemailers more time in the next episode to go over that. Um, but I, I would love to hear what you guys think. And then finally, quick note that uh, the climate ride is coming right up. Uh, we we met our goal of, of 20 new members. So thanks to everyone uh, for you know anyone who signed up for chipping into that. So what that means is I'm going to be doing. Uh, daily dispatches from the ride uh, that's starting coming up this Saturday and uh, and then five days from there. So uh, there will be one show, you know, big normal show that I'm not going to do because, you know, I'll be in Pennsylvania or something. And, um, you know, but in the meantime, I'll, I'll be doing daily dispatches if if the technology holds up. So if you're interested in hearing those, sign up as a member uh, you know, before the ride starts or, or even during. I'll have internet access and I'll, I'll get you the details on how to access all the extra members' content. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show, of course. Those who become members or make one-time donations are absolutely the reason this show survives. Stay tuned in. Stay tuned in between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame. How we get so trained, we can't see past.
Sing 